You know what, church? The honest truth, I'm going to dismiss the children, by the way, if you're going to be going back there. The honest truth is that we are in a battle. Now, we are looking at the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea over the next seven to eight lessons, and we're going to be seeing how these actually, in the Old Testament, are pictures of what happens in the New Testament. And so as the Bible says that these are shadows and that Christ in the new covenant is the body that casts the shadow. So we're going to look at some of these pictures over the next several weeks that we see here in the book of Exodus and then how they're fulfilled in the new covenant under Christ. Now we, as I'm saying, the, uh, we're in a spiritual battle, but we're also in a physical battle. Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter one, do you remember the physical battle that they were in? They were in bondage. They were in, we, we looked at three concepts here. The concept of dominance. Let me just get those three for you real quick. Dominance, deception, and destruction. And this, this is the physical nature of this slavery that the people of Israel were in. And the truth that we discovered is that we are in a similar situation because of sin, because of death, and because of the devil. We are in this physical battle, but we are in a spiritual battle as well that's keeping us separate from God. And even as God sent them a deliverer, God has sent us a deliverer in Christ. So I want us to realize that Moses is encountering both a physical oppression, but also a spiritual oppression. Now let's take a look at the spiritual oppression. We looked at the physical oppression last week. Let's look at the spiritual oppression this week. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts, excuse me, Exodus chapter seven. Now God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and to tell him, let my people go. when he goes to them, he realizes that he needs to win the confidence of the people, but he needs to somehow demonstrate to Pharaoh that there there is seriousness about what he is asking for. Let my people go. I mean, after all, the, if, if, you, if you do the numbers right, you probably have about 2 million Hebrews in slavery. That is the economic foundation for this nation of Egypt. And if you lose 2 million slaves, there's the possibility of your economy crumbling. So Pharaoh needs some convincing here. Consequently, Moses goes to Pharaoh and He wants to demonstrate the power of God as if to say, hey, you know what? God is on my side. God, it's not just me, but it is God asking to let my people go. So what he does is he has Aaron lay down his staff and it becomes a snake. Let me read this to you here in Exodus chapter seven, verse 10. It says, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. 
So what we have here is that as Moses is encountering Pharaoh, he realizes there is not just a physical battle that's going on here of slavery, but there is something deeply spiritual because as he comes to the sorcerers, the magicians, now these magicians aren't sleight of hand, card playing tricksters. They, they're actually demonically motivated and empowered. And so when he comes to them and he does something absolutely supernatural, Aaron laying down his staff, the staff becomes a snake, the magicians, the sorcerers, are able to do the very same thing. Now that might surprise us, but the truth is, church, the devil has power to be able to imitate similar powers of God. We're going to come to realize that there is a limit to this, though. Now, as he does this, just to get the upper hand or just to demonstrate the upper hand, what does God do? God has his, he calls it the rod of God. It now becomes a, the, uh, the uh, snake and it swallows up the magician's staffs. So this isn't something that is just uh, a snake that's rigid. It is a true, it is a staff and it actually becomes a snake, even in the hands of the magicians. This is important. This isn't just some sleight of hand. This is spiritual. This is demonic. And God is trying to do something to be able to convince Pharaoh. If you were to go on now to the, to the next, to the end of the chapter, verse 22, it says, <clears throat> Moses, then to do the first plague, he takes his staff and he touches the water. And you remember, it turns into blood. What do the magicians do? Right there in verse 22, it says, but the magicians, the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron. <clears throat> this happens again. God allows frogs at the command of Moses to overrun the land coming out of the Nile, overrun the land. What does it say that, <clears throat> excuse me, what does it say that the Egyptians do? In verses six and seven, it says, so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So again, it's almost as if God does something and through the sorcerers, Satan does something to match it. Let's look at the next one. This now is the third plague. Moses commands gnats to appear on the land and all over people, and apparently they're biting type of gnats. And this is what it, it says, verse 18, but when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not, and the gnats were on men and animals. The magicians, sorcerers, said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. And through these circumstances, Pharaoh's heart is getting hardened. Now, there's a reason for this, and it's because God, as I mentioned last week, he's setting up the stage for this amazing deliverance from slavery. Pharaoh's heart is being hardened. Ten times, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He refused to let the people go. 
Now, I want you to know that we used to be enslaved to sin under a taskmaster who absolutely refused to let you go. But God had to do something in order to set you free. Now, we're coming to that in just a moment. Before we do, I want us to look at one more thing. Let's look here in chapter 6. Go back just... Go back a few chapters with me. It's a verse that we read last week. I want to bring it to your attention. And we've got a question to ask and a question to answer, okay? It says here in verse 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will, listen to this, I will redeem you with an outstretched hand and with mighty acts of judgment. Now, we looked at what that word redeem means. It means to purchase, to pay a ransom price. What ransom price was God, if you could word it that way, going to pay in order to set his people free from slavery? See, this word redeem doesn't just mean delivery, deliverance. It means to pay a ransom price. He did it with his mighty acts. Do you see that? For 10 plagues, 10 mighty acts of God, God used that to purchase his people. What I want to do, though, is I want us to fast forward to the 10th one, to the 10th plague. You remember what that one was? As you look there in chapter 11, what we discover is that God had warned the people of Egypt, specifically Pharaoh, his officials, but he had warned the people, look, if you do not let my people go, I am going to take the life of your firstborn. Now, that would be a high price. Whoa. Pharaoh thought about this, but the Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. God gave him an opportunity. Let my people go. But his heart was so hardened, he again refused. This is the 10th time that God gave him an opportunity to do this, and the 10th time that his heart became hardened, and he said, absolutely not. Now, you remember this story, especially if you've seen the Ten Commandments, right? You remember the story that when, the, when that plague was about to come, God came to Moses, and he said, look, I'm about to take the life of all of the firstborn throughout Egypt. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to take a lamb. Now, it's a very specific type of lamb, okay? Not just any lamb. He said it could be a lamb or a goat. It had to be one year old. It had to be uh, without defect. And it says no bones broken. We read about that in chapter 12. Those four things. Now, take this lamb And you're to slaughter the lamb and you're to roast the meat. But here's what I need you to do. Very important. Take a branch of hyssop. Dip it in the blood of the lamb. And then I want you to put that blood on the doorposts, up, over it, on the side, all around it. Because here's what's going to happen. As I move through Egypt, as the death angel, as it's called, moves through Egypt, He is going to take the life of the firstborn of any house in which there is no blood. And as this happened, and the the Jews, the Hebrews, put blood over their doorposts, every single one of them did this. 
we discover that God passed over them and their firstborn was safe. The reason why God did this is because he said this earlier in Exodus. He said, Moses, I want you to know, because Pharaoh has dared to enslave my firstborn Israel, I will take the life of his firstborn. There was a consequence to be paid. In verse nine, it says, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. You see, this then becomes a picture of Jesus himself. In the Old Testament, we have the Passover lamb who is sacrificed on a certain day of the first day of the month. This was commemorated in what's commonly called Passover, and it began the week of a feast called a Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, as, this, as they did this, the, the, the son would ask the dad, why do we do this? And he would recount pretty much what I just shared with you. This is why we do this, because this is what broke the back of Pharaoh. This is what this is what so decimated the very bro, the, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart that he eventually yielded and he didn't just tell us to go, he ordered us to leave. And we left. We left in a hurry. I want to read a few verses to you. Because this then, this Passover, this final mighty act of God of taking the firstborn has its counterpart in the New Testament. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Hebrews 9, 22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In Acts 20, verse 28, it says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The blood of Jesus Christ became the currency of heaven to be able to redeem us, ransom us, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, no longer be held captive in the dominion of darkness in which Satan is the ruler, and in the Old Testament, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, that darkness, that slavery. Now Jesus has come, and with his own blood, he has purchased us for himself, for himself. We now belong to him. We do not belong to the darkness. We do not belong to the devil. We do not belong to sin or death. We have been freed from this through the blood of Christ. Now, it says here in, in 1 Peter 1.18, listen to this. It says that the blood of Jesus redeemed us from our empty way of life. Church, I want to tell you right now. Before I became a Christian at age 14, and then I'd gone to church all my life, I was living an empty life. Yeah, I was going to church, you know, singing the hymns and listening to the sermons between naps, of course, and I was doing what I could. I thought this was, this was the pathway. I was on the right way to, to, to go to heaven, but God had to show me that my life, because I had not trusted in Jesus, I had not surrendered my heart to him, my life was empty. And I would even say this, that before any of you came to Christ, your life was empty. 
Many people try to fill it with some sort of satisfaction, drugs or alcohol or friendships or some sort of relationship. What they're really looking for is this intimate relationship with God because that's what you were created for. But we're following all of the stuff of the bondage of this world. And we will never be satisfied apart from what Christ has done for us that we could have a relationship with God. Remember the passage I read to you, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why is this? Why is this? Let me just share. Some of you have heard this before. I want to share this with you. The Bible says that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, the perfect expectations of God, who is infinite, by the way, in his holiness. My sin and your sin is an offense to God. We need to understand this. My sin is an offense to God. But because God's holiness is infinite, that makes my offense infinite as well. So here is Mike Curtis who sins and he sins an infinite offense against the infinite holiness of God. How do you punish an infinite offense? How do you do that? There's only one way. There has to be an infinite punishment. The Bible calls this hell. It calls it the second death, the lake of fire. So here I am, justly deserving because of my infinite offense and eternal, infinite punishment. How is that ever paid for? How do I get off the hook for that? How can that infinite offense be completely expunged, wiped out, so that God does not punish me? Because if he punishes me as a finite man, he would have to punish me forever and ever and ever because of my infinite offense. It would never be paid off. I would always be on the hook. There would be no way out. So for this reason, God had to send his very own son, the infinite God-man, and his life was given for me in exchange. His life was given for you. That life expressed in his blood was the payment that canceled out your sin. That payment was made at Calvary's cross. That payment and only that payment can expunge my infinite offense against an infinite God so that there is no punishment, no punishment, completely paid for. This is the beauty of the cross. Romans 8.1, it says, there is now therefore no condemnation. Not a little bit of condemnation, not something like purgatory, nothing, no punishment, no condemnation, no guilt, freed. This is the concept we find in reconciliation. This is the concept we find in justification. Christ has paid all of it, church. So this is the picture then of the amazing Passover lamb as it was, as its blood was brushed over the threshold of every entrance into every home and the death angel passed over it. This then is the amazing gift that God gives to us that we now have been set free 
from that. You know, when, when I was a kid, I loved to play superheroes, and some of you have heard this story before. Now, there were four of us, my brother Dan, Rob, myself, and my younger brother Chris, okay? My brother Dan, he liked to play, he liked to be either Superman or Spider-Man. My brother Rob, I think he liked the Hulk. You can probably figure out why. For me, my favorite guy was Iron Man before I saw the movie and realized this is a really bad dude, and I didn't know that growing up reading the comics. But I, I loved Iron Man. I loved you know, the power that he had and such. And then my brother Chris, he thought about it. Well, what superhero could I choose to top all of these? So all of a sudden, you know, we're claiming who we're going to be, and he raises his hand and says, I'm going to be God. And we just thought, there's no way you can do that, so we beat him up. The truth is, the reason why we couldn't let him be God is because, like, he could destroy us with a snap of his finger. Well, okay, with simply a thought. He could destroy us and wipe us all out. That wouldn't be fair. You know, how long would that game last? Like two seconds. So I'm saying this because, you see, when God comes down as our hero. Do you, have you ever studied what a hero looks like in, in present-day literature? You know, the hero generally is someone has the cards, as, as, as they say, stacked against him. The hero is the one who has to humble himself. The hero is the one who is usually unlikely. The hero is the one who is, who, 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 who many times maybe he's born like Moses, born in the household of Pharaoh, and then he has to flee and come back, and now he's the one who brings destruction to Egypt. See, that's an unlikely hero. And in the New Covenant, we have the unlikely hero in which God becomes man, frail, human. He takes on my very nature as a human, the frailty the, the, the flesh of man, Jesus now finds himself in physical need. God, who is without need, is now experiencing need. God, who is completely, um, he, he is the one that is all-powerful. He is the one who has... Uh, no frailties, no emperor. Jesus now takes on human flesh like you and I. And he is the one, and, and this is one of the, the interesting things about, if you, if you study heroes, the hero is the guy who eventually, sometimes he, he lays down his life. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He is that hero who has come to rescue us. As we look at this concept of the Passover, I just want us to, I want to leave us with this. The Passover lamb was sacrificed so that the death angel would pass over. But with the change of one letter, I want to bring this home to us. God doesn't just pass over. He wants to declare something to you today passed over. Your past is over. That time of slavery in Egypt was over with. With this 
last judgment upon Egypt with the slaying of the lamb. Their past was over. They were no longer to be slaves of Egypt because their past was over. When you trust in Jesus Christ, your past is over. Your sins have been forgiven. You're no longer slaves, but you are now belonging to the king of kings, the one who sent his son for our sins so that our past is over. Whoever you were like then, that person, the Bible calls the old man, that person has died and a new person has been resurrected in Christ by the power of the blood of Christ. So he has purchased us as his own. He's made us new. He's washed away our sins. We belong to him as a child of God, as a son or daughter of God. This is now the inheritance that we have in Christ. And you can read about these throughout the New Testament. Your past, my friends, is over when you trust in Christ. So here is my question. What is keeping us from really, truly surrendering to Jesus Christ and following him? What is keeping us from our past being over? There should not be anything because before Christ, apart from faith in Jesus, you are still a slave. You're still under the taskmaster as the Hebrews were in Egypt, but God is leading you out. He's not leading you out to to just bring you back in. We're gonna look at that in a a few weeks. That's what the the Hebrews wanted. They, They came to what they believed, impossible situations. You remember that they said, well, we were better off back in Egypt. Seriously? In slavery? Absolutely not. So here is my question. Why not right now? Why not place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Free from guilt, free from sin, free from offense, in right standing with God, fellowship, intimacy with him. Let your past be over. Trust him to change you. We now have that Passover lamb. Scripture says, come, let us celebrate the feast. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, I want to thank you that you have allowed us to experience through Jesus Christ this victory over domination from the enemy. Father, thank you that you broke the enemy's back. Thank you that you came to set us free. I just ask you, Father, that you would help us as we look to our hero, Jesus, as the one who came and stepped into my shoes and paid that price for my sins. He took it upon himself. Jesus, thank you that you did this for me, for each of us. I ask, Father, that you would stir up hearts, that we would trust in you, Lord God, that, Father, that we would look to you and that you would pass over us and you would forgive us and wash away every sin and that we would be able to have that sweet, intimate fellowship with you. Father, I ask you, Lord, please bring us out of that past. And bring us into the new life that's in Christ, our Passover lamb. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.